Hello everyone, this is Marin Smith with another episode of the Wharton Customer Analytic Cast. Today's episode is coming from Morton, San Francisco, and we've just wrapped our co-hosted event with Teradata that was dedicated to helping businesses minimize uncertainty with analytics. With me today is Wharton Marketing Chairperson and Professor and WCI Co-Director Eric Bradlow and Teradata's Practice Director of Customer Journey, Kathy Coons. Thanks for coming on the show today. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great. Let's dive in. So, Kathy, um, you did a great job wrapping up the event with your remarks. What were your big takeaways or themes that you think were most important uh, from the conversation that really drove home our our theme for today? Well, I think it really just touched on uh, the Wharton Customer Analytics Initiative motto of people doing things over time. So we had, uh, you know, Eric speaking about uh, the, the person who holds the remote Right. We had representatives from uh, retail, from uh, telecommunications, and from banking, all touching on different parts of that theme. Right. And so if you think about those components of people doing things over time, you need to understand who those people are. Is it an individual? Is it a household? You need to be able to manage that identity over time. So you understand them as a cookie ID today. You understand them as an email address related to that cookie ID tomorrow. You need to understand the things that they're doing, the channel that they're doing them in, the intended outcome they're trying to create by doing those things, and the context within which they're doing them. And then finally, uh, that the overtime piece is, as I touched on, managing that data as it changes over time, but also understanding changes in relationship states over time, identifying where you have an opportunity to intervene to accelerate a relationship state change that's in the best interest of the company or the customer or intervening in those changes that may undermine that relationship. And so today was really uh, a number of great examples on how different organizations have made advances in um, just understanding more about what people are doing over time. Thoughts and my major takeaway from today is that um, a lot of, it's really about the data, which is um, most business intelligence problems can be answered with appropriate data, except as I talked about right at the end, um, it's the data we never have. And so um, the thing that I thought, um, which I was most proud of, was that everyone's trying to solve important business intelligence problems. And the good thing is, whether it's through Teradata or through others, people are trying to bring the data assets they have to bear on the problem. But everybody knows just building that, if you'd like, data platform is difficult. Getting business intelligence from that platform is difficult. Um, And those are the challenges everyone's facing. And the good news I heard from today is it's really the same problem everyone is facing. And so, um, you know, I would say the labels change, but the problems are the same. Mm -hmm. Can you expand? You had a great quote there towards the end of the day. Um, It was, you're not the same you, um, which ties into Kathy's earlier thematic of, um, you know, things change over time. Yeah, so um, I've spent kind of the first 20 years of my academic career building models that reflect cross-person heterogeneity. So, for example, Eric Bradlow, Kathy Coons, we're not the same person, our preferences are not the same, etc. That's the classic cross-person heterogeneity story that people in marketing have built for a long time. Um, And that's important. However, I think it's probably overestimated. And what I mean by that is um, I'm not the same
same Eric Bradlow in every situation and purchase occasion. And not only that, you would expect my relationship with the firm to evolve over time. And so the classic approach we use now in marketing, which Kathy alluded to, is hidden Markov models, this idea that um, I don't have something pasted on my forehead that says, you know, how is my relationship, let's say with Teradata, going up and down over time? All I observe is your transactions, your survey data, et cetera, and I have to infer. That's the hidden part. I have to infer your relationship state over time. And then the important part is not just measuring it, but how can you influence it? Because firms want to be profit maximizing. You want to bring people to higher relationship states, but what forms of marketing are going to be effective to do it? And so um, I think another theme that came out of this conference is you know, what we in general just call non-stationarity. People are not stationary. As a matter of fact, What's your job as a firm? Your job is to move people to higher relationship states. It's not just to say, well, I guess that's who firm XYZ is, and that's what our relationship's going to be with them forever. I think it's antithetical to business thinking. Firms change over time. Therefore, you have to reflect that in your business intelligence. And the only way to do that, as Kathy mentioned, is you need a longitudinal data set with people's transactions, behaviors, survey data over time, which is why a company like Teradata is perfectly built to take real-time data, to integrate together and then link it at the individual level because otherwise you have no way to measure those relationship changes. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, where we see companies getting the most value from those data investments that you were talking about is where they really create a, a robust set of data that can be leveraged on an analytic ecosystem that allows that rapid and iterative experimentation that was described today as well, right? So where do you have sales and service friction? Can you see that in the analytics? And then how do you put a team together that involves the business process owners, the data scientists, the IT folks, the experienced owners to say, we're going to dive in on this point and we are going to improve it. We have an ecosystem where we can monitor the improvements that we're making over time and we can know when we're finished. And that really allows companies to rationalize their uh, investment in customer experience improvement and and go about it in a way where they can uh, focus their activity on uh, the most urgent problems, but continue to identify uh, more problems that can lead to uh, you know, an ever uh, smoothening of the customer experience. Well, Kathy, you brought up an important term there. You talked about experimentation. And at the end of the day, you know, I always, my favorite quote is that I've ever heard, is actually one of my colleagues, Jerry Wynn, came up with this quote, only run an experiment if you want to know the answer. If you don't want to know the answer, then what you can do is you can collect historical data, do a bunch of math, which is, by the way, I'm criticizing myself because that's what I do for a living. And then, you know, you hope you've taken care of confounders, you hope, or you can actually run an experiment. So what you've pointed out is exactly right. It's not just the tracking of data over time. It's not even just saying people are heterogeneous and they move through relationship states. Oh, that's great. But at the end of the day, you want to change X and see the impact of Y. But how you change X is what matters. You need to run a controlled experiment, systematically change X, see the change in key performance indicators, whether that's customer lifetime value, which is obviously the WCI way of thinking about things, but even if it's just looking at sales, retention, et cetera, you need experimental variation. So to me, the power is it's the experiments in conjunction with the data capture, in conjunction with the business intelligence 
That's what brings analytics to life. Right, and that rapid read on those experiments where your uh, analytical ecosystem is designed to rapidly read the results of those experiments so you can have really quick turns on that is how we see these large organizations that talk today about the need for scale and automation. And that's really in, uh, is the only way to uh, be able to do this at the pace and with the scale that's needed and the, the size of organizations today to deliver value from analytics. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, we talked a lot about um, deep collaboration and, and getting the different pieces of these analytic strategies out from their silos. Do you guys have any perspectives on how companies, um, given this large need to rapidly scale and get these real-time or close to real-time insights, how do we create this culture um, that from the C-suite down? Well, I mean, I'd be thrilled to hear Kathy's answer. My favorite quote, another favorite quote I had was, you know, um, about two years ago, we had the former CEO of um, Caesars Entertainment, Gary Loveman. Actually, he was a Harvard Business School professor for a number of years, economist, and then became the CEO of Caesars. And he asked him, how did you derive a culture of, you know, experimentation analytics? He said, well, it's very simple. I was a CEO. Anyone that didn't believe in it, I fired. And of course, it's, it's nice to, of course, if we all had dictatorial power that way, um, the way I view it is, of everything I've ever, every practical problem I've ever worked on in industry, the one thing that people find hard to dismiss is again, it's back to this idea of experiments. If you run an A-B test and then you show somebody, you know, website A sells more than B or ad campaign A sells more than B or putting this email content in sells, I mean, it's hard even for people that are non-analytical or people that want to and sometimes be naysayers to dispute a randomized field experiment that's actually done with a platform. Now, what you have to do, though, is, and, and you can speak to this, is even getting someone's, if you like, support and belief that running the experiment is worthwhile to do, that's the first step. But I've never had any resistance. Once the experiment is run, you know, people seem to want A versus B. I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, I, I'll touch on that uh, approaches to get them to want to run the experiment, right? And I worked uh, for many years at a, a Fortune 100 company that has a very uh, collaborative decision-making culture. And uh, our theme as we tried to raise the analytic maturity at that organization is, you know, success has many fathers, right? So rather than having a data scientist figure this out behind the scenes, right, in the beginning, engage with that business process owner. Don't come in with, I'm going to show everybody how you've been making wrong decisions for all these years. Come in and say, would you like to drive higher conversion with your email content? Would you like to, uh, you know, uh, attract higher uh, quality um, customers to the site and then partner with them and, and make them be the star of the show? Then you do the, the analytics and make the recommendations to them and they take it forward to their leadership. And that way you, you create a set of early adopters and evangelizers that can create a little bit of a competitive uh, environment within your organization of who can use analytics the most to deliver value. But that's a way to take away some of that resistance to uh, engaging in those initial tests. I think also some of that resistance is just going to go away. It just is. I mean, I, I don't know who could, any of the companies, thanks to Teradata's partnerships and hard work that were there today, I don't know how anybody could be blind to the value of analytics. In the world. So I think people can only be so resistant today. Yeah, yeah, the, the, it, it, it will be chipped away over time until it crumbles. Yep. Exactly, yeah, then 
um, that's a great kind of end note for us. So um, analytics today is very different from the first time we held this event four years ago. Um, so we, we started out talking and really just persuading people about the power of analytics, generally speaking. But today we were talking about very specific ways that we can minimize uncertainty around decision making. Um, you know, can we? do you have any um, thoughts or perspective about where you think the next... I guess, big theme or, or challenges for analytics going forward? I mean, I, I'm seeing, uh, as we touched on earlier, this need for automation uh, and, and having you know, the data products available that are needed for the data scientists in the form that's most efficient for their use. Uh, in, in what I'm observing, a lot of uh, data design is uh, made to make the, the loading and the management of the data more efficient, not the usage of the data. And companies that are investing in uh, more uh, advanced data products that are aligned with the need of the data scientists are realizing uh, much greater value from the investment within data science. Maybe just to build on what Kathy said, I think um, first pass algorithms are really, I think, will be coming more and more important. What I mean by that is, let's imagine you have millions of customers and you want to understand you know, what's driving customers' needs. Well, it might be, you know, no human, not even a model can really process millions at a time. So what you do is you might apply some fast, quick algorithm that can say, you know what, these are the hundred customers you really need to focus on. And I think this idea of automating that first pass, I, I, I like the idea a lot. I think spending time where it has the greatest ROI is something that's going to happen. And whether it's through data automation or if you'd like, first pass algorithm automation. I couldn't agree more. Great. Well, thank you both for taking the time to wrap up this event. It was so great to have Teradata on the stage with our Eric Bradlow. It was a really great event. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you.